The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. for tuning in the Infertility in Me podcast. It is your host, Monique Farouk. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for tuning in week after week, month after month. You guys are the bomb.com. Today I have Ms. Marilyn B. Gomez. You may already know her on Instagram. And if you're not following her, that's pretty whack. And you need to hit that follow button. Thank you, Marilyn, for coming on, dear, to the podcast today and talking to us and chatting with us about your journey and what you guys have been up to, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Awesome. 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 So how did you meet hubby? Oh, we met in 2002. Mm -hmm. It was my second year in college and we were living in Orlando, Florida, and it was a humanities class. And I was dating somebody in that class and he, it was like the beginning of spring semester and he came in the class like 20 minutes late after the professor had already started his lecture. And like, you know, like the first day of school and college, you're like checking out all the guys. Right. And the door swings open and it was like, ah, like I, I like, I demon. like turn to the left and the door opens and like this sun starts shining through <laughs> the light through the doorway. And he walks through and I'm like, that's the man I'm going to marry. Mm. Like I just knew right there. Of course, I didn't talk to him all semester. And then <laughs> at the I just like made like, you know, faces Ooh, like yeah. I would just like look at him like, ooh, he's so cute. And I just loved that he was so studious and serious. And I could just tell like the kind of man that he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I was 20. I mean, I was 20 years old. And um, yeah, at the end of the semester, like after finals were over, we like me and my girlfriends went to this bar called Amigos, which was like a Mexican uh, restaurant slash bar kind of thing. And at nighttime, people would, you know, kind of dance and stuff. And he shows up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the really hot guy from class. Yeah. And um, he came up to me and he was like, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm really happy to see you. I've been wanting to talk to you all semester. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Then he asked me on a date and then the rest is history. Right. Yeah. So did you, did you get diagnosed after, or did you have a pre-existing condition? I didn't have a pre-existing condition. It was, um, so we got married in 2009 and I thought just like the movies that you just like do it and get pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm like, what the hell? Why isn't this working? And even when I started seeing a reproductive endocrinologist, and this was like after I did many Clomid cycles, I didn't classify myself as infertile. I didn't 
So I did um, many Clomid cycles. And so even like going through the process, I just didn't think I was in, I thought infertility was like, you had to be like in your late forties and you're like old and deteriorating, you know, it just, it didn't apply to me then. And so I, when I started my, my journey with like, okay, Mm -hmm. my OB, there's only so much she can do. And I went to a reproductive endocrinologist in Orlando he was like, well, let's just do a lap, lap to see if you have anything going on in your uterus. And he's like, oh, there's polyps. So they removed polyps. They found super mild endometriosis, which he lasered off. Okay. And literally while I was recovering out of that like office procedure, um, he was like, well, your uterus is all nice and clean and ripe and you're young and you guys mm-hmm. could do it right now and you'll get pregnant. And I thought, cool. That was the only thing I had. There was just like uterine polyps. And, um, so I thought like that, that was it. And then, um, this was in 2010, 2011, we were moving to Utah and I was like, I had that like instinct inside. I'm like, something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And so right when we got settled into Utah, I had an appointment ready I saw a new RE and he was like, okay, well, if you, and I kind of fibbed a little bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I want to wait like six months or a year. You know, I told him that, um, I had surgery, like I had my pops removed a year ago so that we could mm-hmm. move on to the next thing. I'm like, don't make me wait. And that's like the hardest part of this whole thing is just like waiting. And so he said, yeah. So if, obviously they did the sperm analysis and everything was fine. And, um, he was like, okay, let's do an IUI. Monique, we did six IUIs after the sixth one. He was like, kind of hesitant to suggest IVF because he put me in a category of like, oh, you're young, right? I was 27, 28. Um, and I, and he was giving me all this hope, but I could see that under, like, I'm so intuitive and I could see that in his mind, like, he's like, I don't know if we should go on. So I'm like, I don't think this is the doctor that's going to get me pregnant. So we moved to another RE. This is mm-hmm. now my third one. Mm-hmm. And when I went to go see her, it was, um, in Southern Utah, she was like, okay, I, we, we went through the journey of like what I'd experienced. And she's like, and you have not gotten pregnant. She's like, you probably have unexplained infertility. We won't really know if it's like an egg quality issue or anything like that until we do IVF. Okay. And so I'm like, okay. let's do this. And of course, still naive. I thought that IVF guaranteed me a baby. I'm like, oh, I'm paying thousands of dollars. This is like the thing they do. Like the scientists do their thing. The embryologists do their thing in their lab. They put the embryo inside. And then that's the, I thought that was just like a I mean, when people were congratulating me, like, oh, congratulations, you're doing IVF. Yeah, and I'm like, weird, oh, yeah, I'm like, going to go get what? my baby. It's just really expensive, you know? Yeah. And so um, with that IVF, so 17 has always been my magic number when it came to how many follicles I grow and how many eggs are retrieved. Every single IVF that I've had, it's always 17. So they retrieved, so 17 eggs were retrieved and then of course, like the mature ones were seven, seven were mature. And then by day five, it was, there was like two left. And, um, she was like, okay, so we're going to transfer these two. And it was a fresh cycle. So of course, after retrieval, 
you watch them grow. And then they did the transfer. And then it was a, it was a chemical pregnancy. I mean, my beta was a hundred and I'm like, okay, well, technically that's pregnant. And she was like, it is, but it's still low. Mm-hmm. And then my second beta, it didn't double. It was like 116. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, of course you go on to Dr. Google because Dr. Google is obviously no, smarter than your own doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but like, it could be late in plantation. It could be like a slow developing embryo. And then um, after my third beta, it just wasn't moving. And they're like, it's a chemical pregnancy. And I didn't even know what that meant. I just felt so unprepared, so naive. Mm-hmm. Back then, I, there wasn't, inst- I, like Instagram wasn't around really. Like it was 2012, 2013 by this time. Yeah. And I started um, to kind of like be so disillusioned. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. And we were, my husband and I, during that time, were really private. No one knew that we were going through this. Mm-hmm. I think like for me, culturally, it was almost like I had to have children. I mean, I'm Latina. My parents come from massive families and I felt like I was letting them down and letting everybody else down, but myself, you know, it was just all about everybody else. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to let my parents down because they won't be able to be grandparents. My husband won't be able to be a dad. And you know, my sister won't be able to be an auntie. And, um, so I just really retreated and started feeling really sorry for myself. Like I'm just not good enough. So one day I was on Instagram, like Instagram was brand new. I signed up for Instagram. I came across this account talking about adoption. And then there was a hashtag called TTC and I'm like, what's TTC? Yeah. So I dove into that, learned that it was trying to conceive and that there was a little population of women talking about trying to conceive. And I was like, well, crap, I'm not alone. And people are just now talking about it. And even then I would tell my husband, like, look, I came across this account. There's a woman that lives in Utah as well that I'm going to meet up with because she is also going through this. And so I was super purposeful about looking for women in my city that Mm -hmm. I can kind of see myself with, because when you're struggling and battling infertility, you don't know anybody else is going through the same thing unless you talk about it. It's not like, you know, you look different, like, you know, you just like a regular person. You don't know that you're battling. Like you, like you've said so many times, like the silent suffer, I was silently suffering and just deteriorating and just dying inside. So anyway, we, we jumped into IVF number two immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, for IVF number two, the protocol was the same. She didn't do anything different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Didn't do anything different. And um, same thing, Monique, 17 eggs, six made it to like day three. And then day five, four made it to day five. And so on day six, they transferred two and they froze two. Mm. And um, I, I've always had this fantasy about um, announcing my pregnancy during Christmas. I, I don't know if it was because I was so involved in like organized religion back then, um, but it was like, and I, and I love Christmas. It, it's so miraculous. It's really such a beautiful holiday. Um, but for me, it was like, 
this infertile is going to announce a pregnancy during Christmas. And so I kept planning like all of my cycles, Monique, were like to prepare for a freaking Christmas announcement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, on Christmas day, they called and told me that my second IVF had failed. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean it failed? And they're like, well, your beta is low. I'm like, is it above 15? And they're like, it is, but looking at your history, like this is probably another chemical pregnancy. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. And so this was on December 25th. And I just remember getting up and going upstairs and just collapsing and just sobbing. And my husband came up and we just knelt on the floor and just sobbed. I'm like, how is this happening? Like, I just did not even get it. Um, and of course they were like, at the clinic, they're like, you know, this will just, you know, you'll, you'll bleed out basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look for X, Y, Z symptoms. If you start feeling um, increased pain or anything like that, then give us a call and we'll see what's going on. But either way, yeah. like I was still going in to making, to make sure that my beta was lowering yeah. and it wasn't. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? And it was slightly rising every single time, very, very slow. Um, on my birthday, which was January 10th, um, I was 33. I woke up with stabbing pains and my husband had, he had, um, planned this brunch birthday gathering with my friends and family and stuff. And he's looking at me, he's like, you don't look well. And I'm like, I, my, I'm di- like my, I'm in so much pain. So I called my nurse and she's like, um, you need to go to the hospital. And so I'm like, okay, we go to the hospital and they did an emergency DNC on my 33rd birthday. Um, I just remember like seeing my family and my friends faces, like, I am so sorry you're going through this. And then I was like, I can't, I'm not doing this anymore. So I put IVF on hold. The beautiful thing about opening up and being open and honest about your journey on social media is that there's this type of sisterhood that almost you you become instantly bonded through this disease and this commonality of trying to get pregnant. So there's this TTC sister that reached out to me and she lives in Connecticut and she was like, Hey, I am so sorry about your recent failed IVF. Um, whenever you're ready, this is what I suggest. And she's older than I am. Mm-hmm. She said that she had a friend that lived in another state. I think it was like, I don't know, Kentucky or Tennessee. Mm-hmm. She was like, my friend Kara is in her like early forties. She has horrible eggs, but she went to this particular clinic. That's a state over from where you're living and they got her pregnant. So if she can get pregnant with her horrible eggs, you need to, like, you can get pregnant too. Don't give up. Like if you want call her, like she's open to talk to you, like call her, pick her brain, like ask her about her experience at this clinic. And, um, you know, if you're, if you have it in you to do another IVF, like I really, really believe that this is the clinic for you. The way that she said that to me with so much conviction, I was like, okay. So I called her friend and, um, it was like an hour conversation and she was so open and, told me about like her health. Mm. She was like, you can, I'm sure you can get pregnant. I'm sure just go, just try it. And so in 2015, 
my husband and I were like, okay, this is going to be the last time we do it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it was just, it's so, it, it was so consuming. It taken over our relationship. Mm-hmm. It was just so consuming. And I'm like, okay, I just want to try one more time. Like third likes third times the charm. Right. And he's like, yeah. all right, let's do it. So we flew to Colorado, had like a one day workup with this clinic, like was there all day long. They did every single test possible, mm-hmm. which I so appreciated because I knew that they weren't going to template match my procedure, like other clinics, like they're like, okay, here's your script. Like they were catering the protocol based on what my, my body, Marilyn's body needed. Not like this is the FET protocol for everybody, you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, this, and then I still felt a little bit naive too, because I'm like, why didn't I ask more questions along the way? Right. And so, so I go to Colorado to do my one day workup, do a fresh cycle. Again, they retrieve 17 day three, day four, day five, two are left. Mm -hmm. They send those two to PGS testing and two were normal. Mm-hmm. And so they froze those because that clinic likes to do frozen cycles mm-hmm. and it kind of allowed my body to get back to normal. And then in September of 2015, I transferred to genetically normal embryos and then I got pregnant <laughs> and like stayed pregnant. When my doctor called, she was like, Marilyn, you're pregnant. I was mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not. I and what month was it in 2015 again? It was September, September, it was September 20th of 2015. And I was like, and my beta was like in the three hundreds. And I was like, "Eh, I don't believe it. Like Mm -hmm. same thing's going to happen. I was already ready. We had already planned, like, we're going to adopt a bunch of dogs. Like we're going to travel the world. Mm -hmm. We just were ready to do that. And then my second beta numbers like almost tripled. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this actually worked. And so when I had my ultrasound in October and saw heart, one heartbeat, so one didn't make it, right. but right. the one did, I was like, I was in shock. I just, I still didn't believe it. And that shock almost lasted probably till 18 weeks. Mm. <laughs> I just didn't really believe it. Wow. And so did you prepare a surprise for the family for Christmas that year? So we didn't, we didn't prepare a surprise. What we did do is we did a gender reveal on Christmas and they were like, Oh, oh my gosh. No way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we did a gender reveal. Um, we did, um, we did it on FaceTime and it was really special. It was pretty amazing. What's crazy though, Monique, is that like, I had dreams that I was having a little boy mm-hmm. and, um, when I read the card, I'm like a girl. I was so confused. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. but I thought I was having a boy. Mm-hmm. Obviously I didn't care which gender I was having, but it was just, it was still shocking. Like I just didn't really believe that that was happening. I was having an out of body experience because of all the PTSD and trauma that I experienced through the whole thing. I just, I'm like, no, mm-hmm. like this isn't it. I just didn't believe it. So how did it feel? Because you would have graduated from your fertility clinic before Christmas. So how did it feel? I graduated. Yeah, it was, well, when I met with my obstetrician, obstetrician, right? That's how you, yeah, that's right. (laughs) My mind is like, I'm 
don't even know what I was envisioning in my head. <laughs> oh, <it was> attrition. <laughs> um, she was, she was heavenly. Like when I met her, I was like, okay, all right. I think, I think this is, I think this is it. And I, but I, she was so empathetic with, um, my anxiety and nervousness about it all. And she was super delicate and careful with me. And I, and I love that she, she was there for me whenever I was like, can I just come in for an ultrasound? Like, how can we code this? How can your office code this? So like you allow me to have another ultrasound. Um, and so she was really, it was just a really special, um, patient doctor experience. Like she was just amazing. I tell my daughter about her all the time. Mm. Sounds like you got your tribe with that third one. Well, that would have been like your third or fourth doctor, right? Yeah. My fourth. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you guys, is, is your whole journey before you had me was what, six, seven years or something like that? Almost six years. Yeah. You say you were 27, right? Mm-hmm. Originally with the IUIs. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. And so what was your pregnancy like? Well, um, what was my pregnancy like? Were you, how do I uh, explain this? <laughs> was it like a pregnant, but scared? Thanks. Yeah. I mean, me at a, of everything. yeah. At 11 weeks that we had a really bad scare. I okay. had a hematoma, mm. um, subchorionic hemorrhage. I was buying dog oh, food gracious. with my husband and I looked down and I'm, gushing blood in between my legs in the middle of a store and tile. And I'm like standing there my husband's looking at me and he starts freaking out. And so I'm like, we always react very opposite. He starts freaking out and I'm the calm one. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to grab toilet paper. I'm going to put it in my underwear. And then we're going to get in the car and drive to the hospital. Right. And he, he was like, Oh my, I mean, he was screaming. And I was like, this is it. Like, it's not, it's, she's, it's gone. And so, um, we get in the car and he's flying down the highway and I'm like telling him to be calm. I'm like, let's, let's calm down. Like, it's okay. We still have each other. Like, it's okay. We still have each other. We knew that like we had a plan. And so we get to the hospital. Um, it was just, when you see that amount of blood, it's just so, um, scary. It really shocks you. We get into, they put me in the room immediately and I'm like gushing blood. My husband's like walking down the hallways, like pulling towels. And I'm like, it was just, it was just so, um, graphic. It was traumatic. It was, yeah. They roll in the ultrasound machine and my husband looks at me and he's holding my hand and he's like, there's not gonna, he's like, there's not gonna be a heartbeat. And I'm like, I know. And they do the freaking ultrasound and there's a heartbeat. And I'm like, what the hell? And I was like, and they're like, everything's okay. And I'm like, but why am I bleeding? Like, Mm -hmm. why am I bleeding like this? And then they're like, it looks like a lot, but like, it's less than like a period bleeding. Okay. They're like, like into a, yeah, it's all accumulated in like your sanitary napkin. But like when you're bleeding, from your vagina, Nothing it looks it. worse yeah. than it really is. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't understand. And they're like, your baby has a healthy heartbeat and she's there. And so I'm like, what? I contacted my RE. They, you know, sent everything in. And then, um, so my RE was out of state. And so I had to see a clinic that would monitor me locally. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
they're like, you had a subchorionic hematoma and mm-hmm. this has to bleed out, but your baby is safe. Like sometimes depending on where the hematoma is, mm-hmm. uh, the baby will not be safe, but in your case, it's going to be safe. And really like the, you'll have to get used to seeing the blood, but you'll bleed out. It'll just go. And, um, I mean, I bled for like five weeks and it was slow and it was traumatic and mm. it was a mind F, you know, was it continual and or did you get any breaks? No breaks, but it was slowing down. You know, okay. it was just like a slow <laughs> bleed. And, um, yeah, I mean, let's just say I went through, we went through a lot of toilet paper cause I'm like. I would always check to see if it would stop. And of course, with that anxiety and everything. Um, But once that went away, I was like already in my second trimester. And when my belly was growing and I could feel the flutters and I was like, okay, this is it. This is happening. And then I enjoyed the second half of my pregnancy, which was glorious because I ate everything that I wanted. Everyone did stuff for me. (laughs) Like everyone, like it was just like, I was like, I felt like a queen. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was beautiful. And, and the food tastes better I, when you're pregnant in the second trimester. Oh, well, you know, like I love cilantro and I did not like cilantro, and, but I love the smell of vinegar and I would take a towel and just drench it in vinegar just so I can sniff it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the second part of my pregnancy was great. And, um, and I was also like, my skin was just so clear yeah, yeah. My hair looked like I looked like an, like Cleopatra. It was like this, like so thick, thick yeah, luscious, strong mm, hair. I shiny. was actually looking at I was looking at pregnancy pictures of myself and even postpartum, like the other night. And I'm like, yes, I yes, don't look yes. like that anymore. What happened? Just, <laughs> That's what I said. What happened? Yeah, I was so oh beautiful. Gosh. But um, yeah. I mean, and the day that. I went to deliver. Mm-hmm. We were at the store because I really was craving a hamburger. And I'm like, I want a grilled hamburger at my house. And my my water didn't break or anything like that. But like, I felt my belly like tug funny. And I'm like, I think I need to go to the hospital. And then- Did it feel like um, Braxton Hicks? No, it did not feel like Braxton Hicks. It, it, it literally felt like someone was hanging on it. Like, okay, okay, yeah. pulling down. Okay, yeah. gotcha. And so we get to the hospital and I'm like nonchalant. And I'm like, eh, we're good. I, I don't think I'm in labor. I just want to get checked. I'm having this new sensation. And they're like, you're, you're in labor. I'm like, what? And they're like, Marilyn, you're not leaving here until you're, and your daughter's born. And I was like, and I'm like, wait, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. I'm, I'm pregnant. And they were laughing. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I am delivering a, hu-. like, if you think about, it, I'm delivering a human out of my body. Yeah. And I just started to shake like convulsively. Mm-hmm. I just could not even believe it. I'm like, this is it. <laughs> this is, do I really want to do this? Right. Too late to turn back really cut out for this. Am I good enough? Right. We wait till the minute of and we're like, I can't do this. You I just can't put it back this. in for a little bit longer until I'm ready. Yeah, give me Thank another you. month. <laughs> 50 weeks. <laughs> Hilarious. OMG. Oh. So did you, did, after you had me, did it take a while for you to like really start healing? 
from all of the trauma that you experienced over the six years getting pregnant and then with some of the trauma that you experienced being pregnant with her? Was it after she was home with you? You guys were, you know, getting used to each other and all that before you really started trying to like focus on the trauma of, and that is infertility. You know, that's a really, really great question. Um, I didn't realize that I needed healing until I noticed that I was coping with my pain in ways that were unhealthy. Okay. I was making poor decisions on what I put in my body. And I just stopped um, actively working. I, I work out for my mental health because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. I stopped doing all of that. Mm-hmm. And I started to like put layers on my body. Like I just would Clothing. wear clothing. Yeah. These like trying to hide your body. Sweaters. Yeah. yeah. Hiding. And, um, I remember one day, I think she was almost a year and a half. I was looking at photos and I'm like, why are you, I'm like, Marilyn, why are you hiding? And I, I do that a lot. I ask myself the question mm-hmm. because you will never lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Marilyn, why are you hiding? Like you're hiding your body. And I, and you looked at my clock. I had all sweaters. I would wear sweaters in the summer. I didn't need to, but I just, I was hiding the, I was hiding the pain. And, um, when she was turning two, my husband got a great job opportunity in North Carolina. That's where we live now. And we picked up and moved. We sold our house. We picked up and moved to North Carolina and on the move here, like before we planted our feet here in this state, I was like, no more hiding. You need to start to heal. Like you, you Mm -hmm. need to do this for yourself because it's going to catch up with you and it's going to manifest itself. The pain is going to manifest itself in another way where it'll be detrimental for your daughter and your family and your Mm -hmm. relationship. And so I, um, I enrolled in like a kickboxing gym and started boxing and started to work through, um, basically like reconnecting with my womb, because when you battle infertility, as you know, you almost feel like your body has betrayed you. Yeah. Yeah. Your body's betrayed you and you have this out of body experience. And then you're like, you're not doing your job. You're supposed to multiply and replenish the earth and you're not doing that. So you, you energetically, you start telling it that it's not good enough. And of course it throws off cycles and all of that. And your hormones are off. And then I'm like, I really have to like start to heal. Yeah. And, um, cause it's almost like you, especially if you, you're the one with the diagnosis, you almost feel detached from it. Like you detach yourself yeah. from it, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, that's how I always felt about it in the past. Like I felt like it was a different it was a part of me that wasn't a part of me. You know what I mean? Like it's, I can't really explain it. That's the best way I can think of it. It's like you, de- you detach yourself from your womb when you feel, when you still feel pain and you haven't like really healed Versus completely. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me, Marilyn? Right. Can you hear me? Especially because like, yeah, I can hear you. Can you okay. Hear? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. It got a little fuzzy there for a second. Yeah, I think it might be my can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you and I can see you now. For a minute, it was like stopping on us. Might have been my internet. Okay, we're good now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you feel like it's almost like you're, I'm not going to say you're forced to detach, but like you give your private parts to your doctors with Wanda 
mm-hmm. with ultrasounds, with these invasive invasive procedures. So it's no longer a part of you. It's like you're observing this experiment in front of you, you know, and I had to really bring that back. I needed to say, I'm sorry, and just like make it mine again. Yeah. Did you find it difficult to reconnect with your feminine energy? It took, it took a bit. Yeah. It took maybe a good six to eight months. And, you know, I, I um, partnered with a couple of healers um, and we just, we worked well together and I could feel, I feel like I'm getting emotional, but um, I think staying connected with your womb Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or your reproductive cycle of when you're about to get your period, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it's, I could talk about this forever and this will, I don't want to, we're taught to be ashamed when we get our period we're hiding. Yeah. Right. And then, mm-hmm. so it's easy to hide and act again. We weren't taught in the beginning. And so it just was for us every single day. The same experience. And I think it was hard for me because uh, I have um, some A type personality traits. Mm-hmm. And you're talking to one. Yeah, you're Capricorn, so I know, I know. Mm-hmm. And um, it's almost like when you when you are that type of person and you go through infertility, it almost like the experience forces you to have to tap into your femininity in a way that you never experienced before in order to even begin to heal just a little teeny bit. Yeah, for sure. And like being able to cry at the drop of a dime, that was like unheard of before infertility. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cry. <laughs> cry. Right. I don't cry. <laughs> Who cries? You know, you yeah, like get pissed hearted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. There's no, no crying in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite movie, A League of Their Own. Sorry. It's such a good cry. movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But so like I can I so it's and you know what it was so funny because the other day somebody had posted something on Instagram and I think it was after or right around the time that I had posted the other day about um, you know thinking that we had did everything right you know we go to college we go to high school we play around a little bit we club we have our you know we have our fun and then we settle down and then we buy the house and then we open a business or choose a career path that's that's comfortable and then we want to have kids and then we get all the birth control you know and somebody made a really good point in the comments and they were like you know. I just forgot my damn point. <laughs> about was it like doing all the right things? Yeah, it was like something about like doing. And I was just, re- I was trying to, I was getting ready to say something related to having that A type personality because we always got to have it together. You know, what always I mean? the checklist. And it doesn't matter whether it's public or secret; it's got to be together, regardless. Yeah. You know, inward yeah. and outward. And um, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's a wild thing what infertility does to us. And it is so wild. But at the same time, you know, we find this other beautiful part of ourselves that we may otherwise might have took us a little bit longer to get to, I feel like, especially when you're trying to connect with your with your feminine side in a healthier way, because mm-hmm. you know, everything, especially with the uh, and not to shame like the movement of feminists, but mm-hmm. I feel like that protrudes a lot of uh, masculine energy, you know, and um, it doesn't always give space in the 
positive way for you to still be feminine and still be a feminist, you know? So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's hard trying to find that balance. It really is. But no, I, I, I totally agree. I think that's a really good point for sure. And, you know, I think, I think it, well, first, like, I think it's important for us to have that balance of both feminist or female like energy and the masculine energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, having traits of like type a, when things don't go according to the plan, it's like, why did my plan change? Like, how do I readjust this plan? And so I, so like present day, like, even though I have, I feel like I've, I've healed my relationship with my womb and my Mm -hmm. cycle and like my everything. Um, now I'm like going through the, how do we move forward and continue to re uh, to write a story that is different from the plan that you had. Mm-hmm. And so it's just keeping and staying intentional because I am not going to do any more cycles. I'm not going to continue to expand our family via reproductive assistance or, or assistant assisted reproductive technology. Um, and I'm not, you know, putting all of my eggs, haha, <laughs> pun intended. Mm-hmm. In fast. <laughs> like I really need another child. I really need, I don't need it. Like I'm so at peace and comforted that I have my miracle girl. And if for some crazy reason I get pregnant when I'm you know, not trying because we're not trying, then that would be the story. But it's important for my continued healing for me to continue writing the story of how do I continue to move forward and embrace this space that I'm in Mm -hmm. the way it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and normalize having one child when society expects you to have more. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about your experience with that because for those who listening and they and you already follow Marilyn, you probably already know, but you had a, a experience with trying to conceive uh, a sibling for Milo. Yeah. About it, not even a year ago, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. not even a year ago. So those two embryos that we froze from my second IVF mm-hmm. were just kind of sitting there okay. this whole time. And just frozen. Of course I would get my bill every year, a reminder. Oh yeah, I still have frozen embryos. Mm-hmm. And there was part of me where I'm like, can I continue to truly move on? If I have those embryos there, like I need to transfer them. And it happened quickly, Monique, because we weren't planning a transfer. And during the summer of last year of 2019, yeah. I was like, I'm calling the clinic and I'm just going to plan my transfer. Ah, I'm not going to even think about it. I'm like, if I think about it too much, then I'll just like, who knows what happened. And I called the doctor. I'm like, transfer planned. I booked my flight and my husband was like, what? I'm like, in October, I am flying to Utah by myself and I'm going to go do my transfer. And he's like, I want to go with you. I'm like, I don't want you to. He wanted to have like a whole thing. I'm like, I want to, I'm like, I want to do this on my own. And I, it was it was like a spiritual experience that needed to happen. And of course I have lots of best and great friends in Utah from living there for five years. And so, um, yeah, I stayed at a hotel. One of my great friends picked me up 
took me to my transfer. My acupuncturist that I had been going to for years when we lived in Utah was there with me. We did the acupuncture and it was, and my girlfriend documented everything. And it was a spiritual experience. It was like, it was time for these embryos to come home and whether they would meet me on the earth side or not, I knew it had to be done. And so, um, the transfer was beautiful and lovely and it was October 5th of 2019. And, um, and I, I was like, I'm going to be okay. Either way, I will be fine. And with Mila's pregnancy, mm-hmm. I had pregnancy symptoms immediately. Okay. Like, okay. I'm those like, I'm like that freaky person where I'm like, Oh, I am pregnant. I'm nauseous. Like the first two weeks after transfer. Wow. And so, um, right after transfer, like I started testing on day nine. Mm-hmm. No, I started testing on day seven and there was a faint line. And then day eight, I started getting darker and darker. I'm like, I'm pregnant. Cause I feel it. Like I I'm nauseous. I'm exhausted. And then, um, day nine, I go in for my beta and something just didn't feel right to me. Mm. I'm like, I don't feel them anymore. And yeah, they came back and they were like, um, it's a 10. You're technically pregnant, but I'm like, I'm not pregnant. A 10, like, let's not even try to give me hope. And they were like, we want you to continue your medication. And I'm like, and I said, absolutely not. And I think this is where the grittiness that I developed after battling infertility for 10 years, mm-hmm. um, which I know that I would have not, if pregnancy would have come easy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like mama here, huge self-advocate, gritty, brave, like I am tough. And they were like, yeah, continue the medication. I'm like, you want me to continue to stab my butt with pyo shots? I don't think so. I'm like, right. listen, I know, that, I know that like per the book, you have right. to tell me to keep going, but I know my body. I'm not going to continue the medicines. Like this is done. And she was like, I'm so sorry. Are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. Well, we still need you to go back to make sure your beta is what to see what it's doing. I'm like, yeah, sure. I didn't go back. Mm-hmm. I just stopped my medicine and I didn't go. Why am I going to continue? to? Tor- Why? Why am I going to torture myself? It's a mm-hmm. 10 you know? And so, um, when I got the news, I was like, well, this sucks because I felt the pregnancy and then, and then it's gone. And then I no longer felt it anymore. And it was quick. I mean, it was a window of four days Mm -hmm. when I felt it and then it was gone. And so I was like, um, I cried. I I cried because it, it felt like a cleansing for me and it lasted maybe a couple hours. And then I was like, all right, you're good you're good sis. The next day I was like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and not everybody is good, but I went through a lot of therapy between IVF number two and three. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of com- uh, group therapy and I saw a therapist that specialized in infertility and loss. And I did the work on myself in order to be okay, in order to have the tools to be okay. Because if you infertility is such a mental, um, an emotional roller coaster. If you don't have the tools from a professional, there is no way you can be okay. Like I just do not even see that to be possible. I know a lot of people turn to religion and, and all of that. That's fine, but you need additional support through a therapist that can help you give you the tools 
other than like praying and reading the Bible or fasting and all of that. Like you need literal tools that can help you. And so, um, yeah. And you know, I felt, I felt like I, I could finally close the chapter. You know, I did the transfer. I had no more embryos. And and then I was like, okay, I'm done. Now I close this chapter. Finally, that's been hovering over my head for so long. How old was Mila? at the time because she's she's what she's one on five or she just she's five four. she just turned she's four five. okay yeah so she was she was three and a half okay okay yeah yeah. Mm. yeah I think that's um that whole experience is interesting to me that's why I'm sitting here thinking that's and you know crazy can I tell you what's crazy is that my acupuncturist and my girlfriend mm-hmm. um I mean, my girlfriend was like, do you want me to be I'm like, I want you to stay here with me during my transfer. You're going to experience this with me after transfer. It was like, a, it was so spiritual. And it was like, in my gut, I knew that it wasn't going to work. So when I got that positive test, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. This can't be, I just didn't really get it. And I'm like, okay, well maybe, maybe I was wrong. But um, it needed to happen. And I am grateful that like my girlfriend got to experience that with me, that my acupuncturist got to experience that with me and that I did that by myself. I did that alone and I needed that for myself, you know, and it was, um, it was, it was rather beautiful. And so now I just, I'm just embracing my one girl, you know, mm-hmm. do you still struggle with it sometimes? Um, I don't, I don't struggle with it. I do find myself having this internal dialogue, especially lately, because she's like, well, I want to take care of a baby. She's so nurturing. My daughter is very intuitive. She's an empath. She's, I call her like my little indigo child, but she, um, she's so nurturing. She's like, I really want to care for a baby. I want you to like, give me a baby to take care of. And, Mm. um, the first time she said that was last was in December and it, I, I, it was rough. Like I just could not yeah. even handle it. I just sobbed and walked away. It was so hard. But now I'm like, I love that you're so nurturing. Like, I love that about you. And I just kind of pivot that way. Mm-hmm. The internal dialogue that I deal with sometimes is that, um, I know that I'm not depriving her of anything. People right. are like, Oh, only children are going to be lonely. They don't know loneliness because they've never had a sibling. <laughs> They don't know what they've never had. Like, they don't know that they're missing out on something because they've never had it. Mm -hmm. And so what I go through in my head is like, did you give up too soon, Marilyn? Are you sure? Because you've always had this vision of having lots of children. And then, and then I'm like, wait a minute. That is the old story I wrote before I even had to go through all of this. Mm -hmm. I'm writing a new story where this is normal for me and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And so it's just giving myself permission to continue to rewrite the story, but I don't, I don't, I don't struggle. I don't, um, I think when things come up for me, it's, um, they catch me off guard. You know, I recently wrote about seeing a pregnant woman at the OBGYN and I was like, Oh, and she was so beautiful. And the way that she was like, she had her hands on her hips and she was about Mm -hmm. to pop and she's rocking back and forth. I'm like, I did that. Like I used to do that. Mm -hmm. And the type A personality in me wants a do-over because I don't want a pregnancy. I want a chance to be pregnant without anxiety, you know? And I'm like, no, Marilyn, you don't need to prove that. 
you don't need to prove that anymore. Like, who do you, who are you proving that to yourself? Like you already did the job, you know? And so, um, that's what peppers in my head every now and then, like, well, don't you want to redo, don't you want a pregnancy that like is free of anxiety or free from X, Y, Z? Like, don't you want to just try it again? And I'm like, no, yes, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. But that's Mm -hmm. inevitable. I think in whatever journey you're on, you, you have to remind yourself that like you're in control and that you get to choose how you write your story moving forward. And you have to know yourself enough to, to tell yourself that, you know? Yeah. I like that. You get to choose. Yeah. 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 And that's, um, that's a really important, um, and very relatable and very powerful statement. You guys get to choose. You get and to that's choose. That's it. Nothing yeah. else. Nothing more. Nothing, nothing less. Yeah, and that, and that's a beautiful choice. thing. You get to mm-hmm. choose. You know, you get to choose how to react. You get to choose how you process information. You get to choose. I like that. I had to break that down. You have to get you get to choose, guys. You get to choose, yeah. And I think we'll leave it at that <laughs> because that's um, if you really think about it, that can be really empowering because mm-hmm. most of the journey, if not all of it, is you feel defeated. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so I feel like that's a really a, a good way, a good a good line to write down for yourself and say, I get yeah, this. for sure, yeah. It reminds me of a quote by, uh, I want to get it wrong. Who was it by? The quote is, the major key to a better future is me. And it's by Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. And he's a motivational speaker. And I, I had that on my mirror for a long time. Yeah. So I feel like Marilyn's statement is kind of the same pretty much. You know, you get to choose. And the major key to a better future is you you know yeah. so Marilyn you're the bomb girl get your social media handles your podcast you. handle all of that oh all right connected and she has a podcast you guys you better listen to it's called Mama Vida Mama Vida podcast yeah you guys can find me on Instagram at Marilyn B Gomez you can also find me at my podcast page Mama Vida podcast and my business page for my online store, which is called Infertile Tees. You can find me at Infertile Tees. Awesome. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast with myself and Marilyn B. Gomez today. Appreciate you guys. Peace and blessings. <laughs>